0: Amen. We have this berry patch in Centerville. And it was so warm this winter that, that I wasn't able to spray the grass and weeds like I wanted to. So earlier this spring, my wife, Michelle, she she got in there and, and she weeded about 100 feet of brambles. I mean, I was in awe watching her work as hard as she did. She cleaned out it, each row about 15 feet. Yeah, and she even mulched them when she was done. I mean, they look great. And I'd say it actually did a lot to help them uh, grow as uh, those season began, but now the grass has started growing again. How did they look so great then and now? I mean, it, it may not be back to what it was, but it's definitely, the grass is definitely coming back. I mean What happened? Well, you know as well as I do, and she did too, right? I mean, it's hard to get rid of grass because the roots are so aggressive and invasive, and if you don't get the root, I mean, they're coming back, right? We know that. This weekend we celebrate the 4th of July. And this same principle applies. With all that's going on in our world, we need to get to the root of the problem if we're going to fix what's actually going on. I mean, our, our, our nations in a in a rough place and it's overwhelming. What, what can we do? I mean, we, we can defend statues. We can, we can defend businesses. We can even get out and, and protest or march. But is that going to solve what's really wrong? Let me ask you, what has gone wrong? Not, not what's going wrong, because we can identify a lot of the problems that we see, right? But, but what's at the root of the problem? I mean, as a pastor and a follower of Jesus, I think that the problem is, is discipleship. I think back to, to Paul's list in Colossians 3, uh, 5 through 11, and I see all the things that are happening in our world today. Rage, hate, anger, sexual immorality, slander, malice, filthy language, lies, lust, greed, division. I mean, it's so easy to see these issues right now in our world. But, but bear with me for a moment. I don't think those things are the real problem. I come at this as a follower of Jesus, someone who tries to see the world through a, a gospel filter, right, uh, through a gospel lens. And when I see the brokenness in our world, what I, what I see is a group of people who, who, who don't know how or aren't willing to follow Jesus, I'm not just talking about the the people looting and burning and and destroying statues, right? I'm talking about our nation as a whole. The people, many people, believe in Jesus. But how many people in our nation follow him? I've lived in, in Christian culture my entire life. And I could probably count on one hand the number of people that I've met who said, you know, I don't believe in Jesus Everyone believes, essentially. I mean, sure, there's other religions, but but Christmas is right around the corner. And if you need proof, they're there. The question is, how many people follow him? Now, pointing the finger at other people's issues, even though that's much more fun to do than it at mine, doesn't really do me much good. So where last week, Paul took a light and he shined it into the church and said, Look here, how you live in relationship with one another matters. Now he turns that lens, and he focuses it a little bit, and he shines that light into their households. Paul is saying this week, he says, yes, in Christ, that thing, it wasn't just a clever phrase. It, it's real, and it really affects all your relationships, especially those closest to you. I mean, he writes that as a new person living a new way in our old world, th- th- we have to live a new way because because we've been changed, and that change, that radical transformation, it transforms the relationships of the world. Even though they had a clearer word, the gospel says, "Not so fast, right?" Remember now, what Paul is writing here is he's writing to the church to remind them that Jesus is enough. That you don't need special revelations. You don't need to follow traditional laws. All you need is Jesus, and he will radically transform your life as you follow him. He said earlier in chapter 3, he wrote, think about these things, not the things of the earth. For, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. So take off your old sinful nature with all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed As you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. Paul is writing to Christians to help them live this out. What it looks like to set your mind on things above. For your life is now hidden with Christ in God. How to put to death our sinful nature. He's writing to help the church live with the peace of Christ ruling in their hearts that's important as we begin today's text because in our culture today we're going to talk about things that that in our world these concepts get us excited and we might well we tend to forget about why Paul is writing that's my fear for you he's not writing to put women in their place he's not writing to prevent a slave revolt he's not writing to establish male dominion in the church no he's writing to help and encourage husbands and wives parents and children masters and slaves, that whatever they do, in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. That's why he's writing. Paul begins with, with husbands and wives, the center of the household. He says in verse 18 and 19, he says, Wives, submit yourselves to the Lord; or to your husband as, to, as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. As another translation states it, uh, verse eighteen says, "Wives, yield to the authority of your husbands, because this is the right thing to do in the Lord." In the Lord, that's the key part there. If we could just get this right, husbands and wives, I think it would solve a lot of problems in our in our world. Let me ask you, what should be an obvious question? Why would Paul need to encourage wives? in this way. Wasn't it a patriarchal culture, right? Ancient world. Didn't men run everything? Didn't they have all the authority anyway? I mean, we hear that women in the ancient world were were essentially the property of their husband or their father. Why would Paul start off with such a silly thing then? When it was how things were supposed to be. Why tell a woman to submit when it was required? Well, I think that's exactly the point. We don't always accept things as they are, do we? I mean, today it's pretty warm. And because it's hot doesn't mean I like it. Or that I don't work against it, either with a fan or an air conditioner, right? It was the same then, I think. Women had minds. They were intelligent. They could do many things, some probably better than their husband. Yet their culture said, yeah, but really, you don't count as much. Now... I don't know about you, but that would drive me crazy. And, and I think, no, I know, no, it, it would make me bitter. But Paul says, I, yes, I see how things aren't perfect, but honor God as you are in Christ by putting yourself under the authority of your husband, as is fitting in this new relationship you have with Christ. See, submission is a voluntary act. It, the only one who can submit is the submitter, right? You, you, you can't force it from the outside. If you do, it's called slavery. We'll get to that later today. But, but Paul says Christian wives willfully submit to your husband. Don't buck against it, he says. Don't complain about it. Don't wish you had a different husband. But do it because you love the Lord. Now, this isn't a blanket statement for all wives. Remember, Paul here is, is writing to Christian women married to Christian husbands where both are in Christ, right? He's, and he's also not saying women submit to all men. He, he's talking specifically about a marriage relationship, one where the other is yours, your wife, your husband. Why? Paul doesn't say, "When you do this, God's going to bless you." No, he says, "Do this because you are in Christ." It's what you do because of who you are. For the husband in this world, it's pretty clear that, that there was a culture of author author how do you say that authoritarian behavior. Wow. In fact, the Roman world was was very hierarchical. It, it, if if you were in a position of authority, you were expected to exercise it. You had the authority to demand respect and submission. And yet, here comes Paul telling them, yeah, well, it used to be that way. Now, Now, this was challenging for a man in the Roman world, being told how to treat his wife. I mean, he was in charge. He could treat her however he wanted, besides... Wasn't the wife the one who had all the rules for behavior? Paul says, yeah, um, uh, about that. There's a new way to live now. See, in your old position, in the in the world, the old ways, you lived by the world's standards. People deferred to you because of who you were. But now you're in God's kingdom, and his standard is love. And love always goes first. Love always defers, not to be served but to serve, as Jesus told his disciples. So Paul says, go, agape your wife, love her deeply and sacrificially. Be gentle, not harsh. It doesn't matter what she does or doesn't do, you make sure to love, he says. If we could just get this right, submission, it would change everything. I mean, you hear that in Paul, right? Paul calls the husband to willfully submit, just like he did the wife, to submit to God's way to treating his wife, submitting to loving her. So that was then. But but what about now? How do we apply the same idea of submission in marriage today? What would marriage look like where both husband and wife actively submitted to the Lord to love? I'll let you chew on that for a while. Because Paul then takes the conversation to the next logical place, the relationship between kids and parents. Colossians 3, 20-21 says this, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. If we could just get this right, fathers and children would solve a lot of problems. Kids in the ancient world were less of a person than wives were, you see. They were considered more of an asset. I mean, think about it. If a family was in financial trouble, they could actually sell one of their kids into slavery. Or worst case, they would abandon them as orphans. Now, now Christian families, they may not have been known for this, for doing this, but but Christian families actually were known for taking in orphans. But, but it's clear to see that culturally, children were not very highly regarded. To those kids, Paul says, obey your parents. Just like the instruction for the wives, this one is equally as obvious. What kid in the ancient world isn't going to do what their parents says? I mean, if they don't, they literally will be sent packing. But, but he tells them why. He says, not so you can stay safe, not so that you'll have food, but because it pleases the Lord. You see, their obedience was to be a response to their love for God. It's the father, though, not the child, who gets the correction. He says, do not aggravate your children, but encourage them. Maybe, maybe this should have been a subject of a Father's Day sermon, maybe. But, but, but dads play a powerful role in the lives of their kids. Not to say that moms aren't important. I mean, they bring us into the world, after all, right? And, and when we get hurt, I mean, we call out for mom, right? But, but there's something about a father's influence. And if we could just get this right, obedience to God, it changed things. Paul reminds dads, you see, he says, use your influence to encourage your children, to develop them, not hold them back. Think of what Jesus says, Back in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, where he says people were bringing their babies to Jesus for him to place hands on them. Disciples saw it, and they they came up, and they said, hey, y'all, get back, get back, get back. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, he told his disciples. He said, for the kingdom of God belongs to children like this. Then he went on. He said, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Paul is calling fathers to obedience, to obey Jesus' call to not hinder children growing up in the faith. Actually, to encourage their spiritual growth by showing them what the love of a father is like. I mean, Scripture again and again and again describes God's love for us as that of a father. And, and I've experienced in my time in ministry that the sort of earthly father that we have has a lot to say about how we understand our heavenly father. I mean, was your dad passive or absent? Then do you want to earn God's favor? Was he abusive or, or an enabler? Then maybe you find it hard to trust God. I mean, kids today aren't that different from kids back then or from us. And the absence of fathers in homes today has a huge impact on how kids today respond to God. I have a friend, Harold Somerville, and one day I'm going to have to get him to come and, and speak. Here at church, but he has a ministry here in our community that, that I'm, I'm starting to get involved with. It's called Rising Sons Mentoring." and, and he and some other men go into schools and, and mentor boys who are without a father at home. That group of men are, are making sure that the kids in their care understand what it means to have a strong, loving, encouraging man in their life. So how will you apply? this same call to obedience in your life today? How can the gospel shape your responsibility to help others grow into faithful disciples? How does this call to obedience speak to you? Paul concludes this passage with another household relationship. In in verse 22, he says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eyes on you and to, to curry favor, but, but sincerely of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as a working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that, that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as your reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide for your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. If we could just get this one right. Slaves and masters? No, I don't know about that one. I mean, the issue of slavery is, is a is a part of a cultural conversation today in our world. While, while it still exists today in, in dark corners of the world and even here in the United States, in biblical times, slavery was common. I've seen estimates that as much as a third of the Roman population were slaves. It was, it was a reality for families. Individuals were of a conquered nation or were poor or, or became indebted. I mean, in the Roman world, many were held as bond servants, described in the Old Testament but many more slaves were held as property, property of their owner, Owner much like it was in early America. These folks worked in mines and served as sex slaves. These slaves rarely, if ever, lived long enough to have opportunity to earn their freedom. There were also agricultural slaves, while also poorly treated. But if things went right, they could, they could earn the status of, a, of what we know as a sharecropper. But there were many more slaves, who served as personal servants, craftsmen, cooks, seamstresses, who were afforded opportunities to develop their own businesses, gain education, and even the opportunity to earn their freedom as they worked off the debt that was owed. Slavery was something that everyone in Colossae understood and accepted as a part of life as they knew it. And from Paul's description, it sounds like mistreatment of slaves was commonplace. Even here in Colossae, we can also tell by the, the by the, the degree of instruction that Paul in Paul's letters here in Colossae and in Philemon as well that he definitely had slaves present in the church, as well as their masters. I mean, slaves and masters worshiping together. I mean, we think of them being in opposition, but they probably saw themselves in that way as well. But Paul puts them in the same place under the cross servants of their master in heaven so masters in authority those who are owed a debt those who have rights do it as right and fair because you have a are a servant as well of god I mean, we probably have no first hand experience with slavery but but we do have experience being an authority and being subject to authority and if we could just get this right, authority so let's focus here for just a moment. We're all different; some of us are quick to question authority, some of us well following just sort of comes naturally to us. But Paul is saying here, do it intentionally. Not to get ahead. Not to stay in control. But mindfully, intentionally subject yourself to the higher authority. And and how do we use our authority that we have? How are we to treat those in authority over us? I think this is the point of this section of Scripture, actually. It's all about authority In the way I read it. If we could just get this right, it would solve a lot of our problems in this world. That is answering who's in charge. Who's in charge, me or my spouse? Me or my child? Me or my master? And, and that's the key, right? My master is in charge. The question is the question I have to wrestle with is who's our master? Who has authority in our life? Rather over our life. It seems like our nation is in a mess. I mean, no one wants to be told they aren't in charge, right? Everyone wants to be their own boss. Our nation is in the in the midst of a, a struggle for power. And what the world needs is a model of submission in this quest for power. Husbands need it. Wives need it. Kids need it. Fathers need it. Bosses need it. Workers need it. We need a model of submission to authority. I mean, we all need to take a breath and remember that we have a higher authority. You want to see Jesus work in your relationships? Well... It starts with Him working in you. And you can start that work right now. Surrender your life to His authority. Invite Jesus in to take over your life. Commit yourself to following Him. Doing what He asks. Forgiving those He says forgive. Loving those He says love. Serving those He says serve. If you're ready to see that change in your family, in your relationships, even in your nation. Start now. Start with you. It begins with a prayer of surrender. You can just pray an easy prayer like this. Just, Lord Jesus, save me. I need your authority in my life. I, I, I make a poor master. I need your leadership. I confess to you today that, that I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness. And I thank you for loving me enough to die for me. That I may be made new. Thank you for this new life. Teach me to live it for you. Use me for your glory. I love you. Amen. If you were prayed that prayer, please let me know. Just put it in the comments. I need a master, right? One thing that excites me about the church is that, is that the church is a place where people come to Christ. That God gets their sin in order. He begins to change their heart and their lives begin to impact others that Jesus changes the world through the lives of disciples. And the church is full of people who have come to accept that Jesus has authority over their life and that their lives have changed. What does the world need? The world needs Jesus. And whose responsibility is it to show them and tell them about him? It's the church. It's mine. It's yours. I think a whole bunch of people in the church come to believe in jesus get to the point where we grow our 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 hearts begin to change we no longer do all the things that we used to do i mean but i mean we're far from perfect and since my life isn't perfect i never feel confident to reach out and share my faith i never start making other disciples and our world doesn't really change even though the church is full of people who sincerely love jesus they just aren't following. You completely. So let me put you at ease. We know your life isn't perfect, but you can. But you've come a long way with God's help. Don't you know someone who could use some help getting God's authority and perspective in their life? I bet you do. If I were to ask you today, who you would share your faith with if you could, who would it be? Who's the first person to come to your mind? I ask you now. Would you would you begin to pray that God would give you an opportunity to share Christ with them? I mean, you don't know what to say. That's fine. Just ask him. About, ask them about their life. Let let them talk. You listen and pray that God would give you the words to speak. I mean, Scripture promises that that He will. This July Fourth, our nation is in a mess. God has ordained one solution, His church, and the only way we are told to change the world is by making disciples, disciples who get authority right. God bless you. I'm praying for you. I invite you, if you would, to to join me for our benediction, Um, if you can. I believe it's here on the screen. If you would, join me for a benediction. Life is much more than an accident. Wherever I go, I believe God needs me there. Wherever I am, I trust that God has put me there. He has a purpose for me being there. Christ, alive in me, wants to do something through me, no matter where I am. I believe this, and I go in his grace and his love and his power. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a fantastic weekend. Uh, happy Fourth of July. and can't wait to see you soon. All right. Love y'all. Bye-bye.